Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. We're talking about communion today. Um, Normally when you think of communion, you think of this. You think of the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, uh, the Eucharist, whichever terminology you use. We will talk about that, but let's also think about communion as Paul talks about it and coming together. Um, And we'll get into that. So a lot of you guys know that I'm half Thai. And if you didn't know, I'm half Thai. So... My mom's, my mom's Thai, my dad's a white guy from New York City, tall white guy, nothing special about him. My mom, she's a brown Thai short person. So uh, the thing is, so I'm half Thai genetically, but I'm actually probably only 10% Thai culturally. I don't speak Thai, I don't think Thai, I don't, I eat Thai, I don't... I mean, I don't, I, don't, um, I don't do a lot of Thai things. Now, my Thai vocabulary, I, I can count from one to ten, like any three-year-old Thai person can do. So I can have a conversation with a three-year-old, but that's it. Uh, I don't think like a Thai person thinks, because in many ways to be Thai is to be Buddhist. And even, when, even before my family came to faith, we weren't Buddhist. My mom had her Buddhist things, but we weren't a practicing Buddhist family. Uh, so I, I never grew up thinking that way. Um, and now that I'm a believer, I don't think that way, and it's, it's, it's a, a way of life for them. So I don't, I don't think like a Thai person. And on top of that, I don't look like a Thai person. If I asked you guys in here what you think I am, I guarantee none of you, if, unless you had known before, none of you would have guessed Thai. I've never had anybody guess that I was Thai. Uh, and I've done this a lot. Said, hey, where, where do you think I am? What's, what, what do you think I'm, you know, where do you think I'm from? Nobody ever guesses Thai. So, uh, and then when I go to Thailand, I don't look like any Thai person. I'm a foot taller than most of them. And... Uh, just my features aren't, aren't, aren't the same. But I love going to Thailand because it is my family. My, my dad is, like I said, he's a white guy from New York City. Um, he, he was an only child and his parents died when I was young. So really my only blood-related family is in Thailand. My mom is one of ten and they all, most of them have multiple kids. So there's like a whole bunch of family in Thailand. So I love going there. I love, I love Thai culture. I love being there. But whenever I'm there and I'm with my family, I don't feel like family. I, don't get, I really don't get treated like family. What ends up happening is my sister and I, I have a twin sister, we end up just hanging out with each other because we look like each other, because we're twins. <laughs> but we, we can, we're the only ones who can talk 
talk, uh, talk like each other. And everyone else, no one else speaks English. So they're over there doing their Thai thing, probably pointing at us and laughing at us while we're just sitting here. To make it even worse, my dad is over there with them. He doesn't look anything like them. We look more like my family in Thailand than he does. He's this pale white guy, tall guy, with a mustache. Well, he used to have one when we were, when we were there. And, and he's over there chumming it up with the locals while we're over here uh, just with each other. And they don't mean to do this, but whenever I'm there with my family, I like seeing them for a time, but I feel like a foreigner. I feel isolated. I feel, and it's not intentional on their part, but we just feel like, okay, wh what are we doing here? I'm just talking to my sister, and we're just hanging out with, with each other. Now, like I said, they don't mean to do that. Unfortunately, that's a picture of the church today. That's a picture of many churches today. That's, that may even be the picture of our church today. When, you know, this is, this is the family of God, right? This is supposed to be a family. But what do people feel like when they enter into a gathering? Paul says you come together, but what do you feel like when you enter into the family of God in a church? Do you feel accepted as family, or do you feel like, like I feel when I go to Thailand? Like, I'm supposed to be there. They're actually my family. We, we do share something very unique. We share the body and blood of Christ. We do share this, but do you feel like a foreigner? You feel like, ah, maybe I don't actually belong there. You know, we don't speak the same language. We don't really look like one another. We don't think like, like each other. And what we're going to see in this passage is that's the picture of what's happening in the church here. And so as we go through this passage in Corinthians, I want us to evaluate for us, is this what our church looks like? And, and what do we need to do to make that not a reality, to make it different, to make it what it's supposed to be? Okay, so here's the bottom line from today's, from today's sermon it's our differences should make us distinct. Sorry, I'm going to have to move this. Uh, okay, our differences should make us distinct. Sorry, Ryan. You'll get that later. He'll be singing the, the wrong lyrics. <laughs> our differences should make us distinct, not divisive. Okay? So here's the reality. We have differences. We're all different. But that should be beautiful. It should actually make us distinct from the world, not, make, not cause division and make us divisive inside the church. Okay? So let's, let's see what Paul deals with in this passage. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 17, Paul says, But in the following instructions... I do not commend you. Now, at the beginning of chapter 11, he's just commended them. He's like, oh, you guys are doing great. This is where you're doing great. Now he switches gears and he says, actually, here's something that you're not doing well. And he says, this is why. It's because when you come together, now this, that come together is, is repeated five times in this passage. So watch out for those every time, every time it is repeated. So he says, when you come together... It's not for the better, but for the worse. It's not for the better, but for the worse. As a church, do we come together 
for the better or for the worse. Paul here is saying that this body of believers in, in Corinth, right now they're actually coming together, but when they do so, it's not for the better, it's for the worse. It's not beneficial, it's actually detrimental to who they are and to their mission and, and to what, what is going on with them and what they're supposed to be and how they're supposed to be unique. So he says here, you guys, sorry, I'm really distracted. Can you, can you guys, they're, they're trying to figure out the lights for the, for the baptism. Okay, perfect, that's good. That's good. We're good. <laughs> All right. Um, where was I? This is, he says, when you, when you come together, it's for the worse, not for the, not for the better. Is that us? When we come together, are we coming together for the worse? Now, how do we know that? Well, what happens when we come together? What happens when we gather? What happens when, when we meet? And Paul is going to go down this passage, and he's going to say, this is what happens when the church at Corinth is meeting. And so if we use, if we use that as a, as a guide and a rubric for us to say, well, what happens when we meet? Um, then we'll know if we're coming together for the better or for the worse. So he says, for in the first place, which is kind of funny because he never gets to a second. So, but he says, from the first place, when you come together as a church, so note there, they're supposed to come together as a church. They're gathering together as a church. They're not coming together to drink. You know, you can do that at the pub. They're not coming together to uh, just eat food. They can do that at a restaurant. They're not coming together for a social club. They're not coming together for a nightclub. They're not coming together for a country club. Like, they're coming together as a church. And that's distinct. That's unique. There's something special about that. They're coming together for an assembly that is focused on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But he says, I hear that there's divisions, there's factions, there's schisms, there's splits among you. There's cliques among you. Now think about our church, Trinity Life Church. Um, some of you guys are guests here. Some of you guys have been here for a while. Some of you guys have been here for a few months. Um, do we have divisions in our church? Do we have splits? Do we have factions? Do we have cliques? Think about, it's, first of all, it's so weird for me to say cliques because I'm American. Like, Missy's just staring at me like, we say click. Uh, and I know it's wrong, the rest of the world says clique, but it's hard for me to say it. Every time I say it, I'm like, ah, it's like grating my soul. Um, <laughs> so, but are there, do we have that in our church? Think about who you hang out with. Think about who your closest relationships are in the church. Do they look like you? Are they similar in social status to you? Or do you only hang out with married couples because you're a married couple? Do you only hang out with singles because you're single? Do you only hang out with people who are cool because you're cool? I don't know. You'd be hanging out with me if that was the case. Do you, who, like, who are your closest relationships here? You know, we have, we have a mommies group in the church, and I'm not bashing the mommies group, but, because the mommies group needs, needs mommies. But if you're only hanging out with mommies, that's a problem. 
you need to hang out with other people. You need to learn from others. How about you bring in uh, some singles in there so they can be part of a family too? Or how about you hang out with those who, who are older so that they can give you their wisdom? Like this, is, this is what I mean. When we look at the church as a social club, as, as just here to make friends, then it changes the dynamic of what the church is supposed to be. And we're no better than the rest of the world because we've lost our distinctiveness. Because you can do any of that outside of the church. The church isn't here to be your social club. It's here for something way more unique than that. Now, hopefully you have friendships here. Hopefully that's the case. But he says what this is doing is it's causing divisions and factions among you. And he says, I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Are you following Jesus genuinely? That's going to reveal to us, that's going to show us, you know, where our divisions and our factions are are going to show us if we're actually following Jesus genuinely. Because when we see Jesus in the Gospels, he doesn't discriminate who he's hanging out with. He's, he's hanging out with everybody. If, anybody, if, if anything, he, he says he doesn't want to hang out with the Pharisees because they're the ones who are the, the faction-oriented people. But he still hangs out with them. So, um, and Jesus, so are you genuinely following Jesus? Paul says it's going to show the genuineness of our faith. It's going to show who we are by our divisions and our factions and our preferences. And I get it, guys. Like, I get, I'm not saying that uh, you have to be friends with everybody in the church, okay? Um, I think that's, a, that's impossible. But what I am saying is that the church gathering is so different. There's so much power and transformation in the body and the blood of Christ that when we come together, Paul's saying when we gather together, that it changes that dynamic, that it's not like the world. And you may not go grab a beer with everybody. You may not go watch a movie with everybody in the church. But when we come together, it doesn't matter. Because what unites us is not our, our preferences, is not what we like or don't like, is not what we, our interests. It's the body and blood of Jesus that transcends all of that. Just take... Uh, so there's, we have a few pastors in the church um, there's, there's Adam, we have a, there's Jamie, there's, we have a couple interns, Daniel and Jamie. Um, one of my biggest interests is sports. I love playing sports. I love watching sports. None of those guys like that. <laughs> like, n- none of you guys do. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you told me watching football is a waste of time. <laughs> Yeah, that, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, Matt. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but that doesn't, that doesn't hinder our relationship. But oftentimes in the church, we let things like that, trivial things like that. Sorry to say football is a trivial thing. I love the NFL, but, <laughs> but uh, trivial things like that, we let them hinder our relationships with others in the church. Think about, think about the city of Toronto. We have 2.5, 3 million people in Toronto. How many of those are Christians following Jesus? 
we have a few handfuls of people following Jesus, and a few times a week, we gather together with the church with people who believe the same thing we believe and, and are united in the same spirit by the body and the blood of Jesus. You don't get that in a lot of other places in this city. Like, we need to take advantage of that. And he says, and, and he says uh, what's important here is unity in the body, not your factions. So when you come together... It is not, he says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. This is the only place in the scriptures that the terminology of Lord's Supper is used. Um, and it's some, sometimes we use it for communion, uh, the Eucharist. But he says, and, and he says here, basically what he's saying is the Lord is the one hosting this dinner. The Lord's the one hosting this meal. The Lord is the one hosting this supper. It's Jesus. It's not you. But he says when you come together, you're not coming together as a church. He's like, you're not coming. You think you're doing something divine. You think you're doing something holy. You think you're doing something for God. But you're actually way off the track because you're more more focused on uh, your cliques, your, your divisions, your factions than you are on unity in the body. And your focus is all wrong, he's saying. He's saying, so, so you think you're doing this, but you're not. How many of you maybe think you came here to worship the Lord this morning, but your mental state, your emotional state, where you are in your faith, you're, that's not actually why you're here. Maybe you came here this morning and it was to check a box off of your legalistic check, your religious legalistic checklist of things you did this week, and now you're good to go. Maybe for you this morning, it was you just, you just came here because your friend, your family is getting baptized. Maybe for you this morning, you, you wanted to just network with people and, and meet, meet people in the city. Maybe for you, uh, you just reluctantly came because you knew it was the right, it was the right thing and you should. That's what's happening at the church in Corinth. And he says, you think you're coming together for, for something divine, for something holy, but you're actually not. Your intentions are off. Your motives are off. And he says, this is what it looks like. For an eat, in verse 21, he says, for an eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. They're not thinking about the other person. No one's considering anybody else. No one's considering the other. They're just going ahead with their own meal. How's that different from, from the world, Paul is, Paul is saying. He says one goes hungry, so one goes without any food, and another goes in excess. Another gets drunk and goes all the way into excess with, with drink. So you have people going hungry, and then not only that, it's not like, oh, well, there just wasn't enough food. No, there's plenty of food. There's plenty of drink. One person's drinking so much, they're getting drunk and wasted. And he says, what? In verse 22, it's just like really strong exclamation uh, in Greek. He's like, what? He's like, don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Basically, he's saying, if you're going to do that, stay home. If you're going to do that, don't bring that into here. He says, do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What was happening here was there's the haves and the have-nots. There's the rich and the poor. There's these distinctions in social, in social status out in the world, and they're bringing this mentality into the church, this worldly mentality into the gathering of the body of believers. 
And he says, do you despise this gathering? Do you, do you despise the people who, who don't have anything? You're just humiliating them. He says, what shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No. Normally when Paul asks rhetorical questions, he leaves them as rhetorical. But he asks a rhetorical question here. And then he says, no, I will not. He, he feels like he needs to answer it just in case. And he needs to be forceful with it. No, I will not, he says. What are we bringing into the church? And I don't mean into this building. I don't mean into just this gathering. When you come into the church, are you bringing the world or are you bringing, are you bringing Jesus? Are you a genuine follower of Jesus? What are you bringing in, into the church? And if you're a follower of Jesus, and he's talking with believers here. He's talking to followers of Jesus. So if you're not a follower of Jesus in here, like this doesn't apply to you right now. Um, because... Of course you're not bringing Jesus. Um, but if you're a follower of Jesus, a lot of us still have the world in us. We still have that old self we're carrying around. And he's saying here, you shouldn't do that. You can't do that. So a few years ago, um, we took a group from this church. We went to Vietnam. Before we did that, norovirus ravaged our church just a few weeks before. And you guys, norovirus, if you don't know what norovirus is, it's, it's not the worst thing I've had, but it's definitely the most unpleasant thing. <laughs> it's basically a stomach bug, and um, it's highly contagious, and like all stomach bugs, it means that you are from either end or both ends you have liquid expulsions or explosions. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's really bad. So one day, two days, three days, some people, it's, it's a week. You're just like, it's just, it's just horrible. And, and uh, so that came through our church, and everybody got it. And, well, not everybody, but a lot of people got it. And a few weeks before we went to Vietnam, I got it. And I just woke up in the middle of the night one night, and it was like, Bleh. it was so crazy. Um, but I got it, got it out of my system, went to Vietnam, took our, took our team to Vietnam, and we'd been there a few days, <laughs> been there a few days, and they started dropping like flies. Like, norovirus started ravaging our team. Like, one, one person got it, another person got it. At least we think it's norovirus. I don't know what else it'd be. Um, Another person got it, another person got it. And it totally changed our plans in Vietnam. Like, we had to reschedule things. We couldn't do things that we wanted to do. I'm still sorry about that, Kelly. Uh, we, we, there's some things that we really wanted to do and, and we couldn't do. There's, there like, just other things. Um, but it, it, changed, it changed the dynamic of our team. It changed um, just how the whole trip panned out. And for all I know, we started an epidemic in Vietnam. <laughs> we, brought, we brought norovirus into that country. And who knows, they still might be trying to find ground zero. I don't know. Um, we, yeah, that's, that's not cool. We didn't mean to do that, though. We didn't intentionally do it. We didn't say, oh, I'm bringing norovirus into this, into this country and we're going to infect people. We didn't, we, didn't, uh, we didn't even know we were carrying it still. I, right? We kind of been through it, and those of us who had been through it didn't get it again in Vietnam. So we thought, oh, you know, that's, we're, we're good, but 
Yeah, we weren't. Uh, <laughs> those on our team weren't. This is the, that's a picture of what we carry from the world into the community, into the gathering. The world's infected us with a disease called sin. And, and the world's culture is infected with sin. Now, a lot of times we bring that culture into what's supposed to be kingdom culture. We bring this culture of the world into what's supposed to be a holy kingdom culture that's distinct from the world. Now, we still have our differences, right? And our differences, like I said, do not create division. They actually make us distinct from the rest of the world because we're together in these. We come together. But a lot of times, we, we still have the culture of the world in us, and we, and we bring that in the community, and it um, creates an epidemic in, in the church. So what is kingdom culture? Like, we need to know what that is. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 Jesus tells us exactly what kingdom culture looks like. He says, he says it's blessed are the poor, not the rich. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, not the powerful. Blessed are the merciful, not the ones who exact vengeance. Blessed are the pure in heart, not the ones who seek pleasure. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the ones who cause division. Blessed are those who are persecuted, not those who are comfortable. This is kingdom culture. The world says, ah, be comfortable. Oh, seek power. Be successful. Pleasure. Everyone should have their own, their own pleasures. Money, money, like you, you should have a lot of money. Jesus says the kingdom culture doesn't look like that. It's totally different. He says, you're salt and light. So you're not darkness. You're, you're light now. He says, those who are kingdom citizens aren't controlled by anger and lust. They're not controlled by their pleasures and their passions. He says, they stand on their word. They're people of integrity. They don't seek retaliation. They don't seek vengeance. They don't seek retribution. Like, this is the kingdom citizen. The world says, the world is the one who says, if someone does something to you, you do something back to them. The world's the one who says, you need to get your own. The kingdom says, no, that's, that's not true. You actually love your enemies. You don't hate them. The kingdom citizen trusts in God, is, is generous, depends on God alone, he says. The kingdom citizen isn't anxious about our, your needs. So if you're in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't worry about, and he uses two very basic, basic needs as examples, food and clothing. He says, why are you worried about that stuff? I take care of that for all of my creation. Why am I not going to take care of it for the crown of my creation, human beings, you? Why am I not going to do that for you? He says, he says, don't worry about that stuff. Don't be anxious about it. He says, uh, and those who hear what I say and obey it, they'll build their house on a rock. And when the winds and waves come, their house will stand firm. Our problem is we bring, all, we bring the opposite of all of that into the church. Our problem is we bring in our anxieties about money, and we, and we sit them down in the church, and we infect the community. We infect our families. Our problem is we bring in our idea of success into the church, and we infect 
the church. And we say, we say, oh, God's blessing us if we have a lot of money. God's blessing us if we have a lot of people in this church. God's blessing us if this, if we're healthy. God's blessing us if, if all these things. And, and that's, that's not how Jesus talks about the kingdom. And Jesus' primary motive in this is he's changing our minds here. He's altering our perspective. He's, he's changing who we are. And he's saying, you guys are so caught up in the world. And the world is telling you all these lies. And that's why, you're, you, you, that's why you lack joy. That's why um, you're not living for Jesus. Because you're living for yourself. You're bringing all these things in. And we're letting our passions control us. We're letting our, our desires control us. We're bringing in darkness. We don't love our enemies. We don't think we're blessed if, if we're poor. We don't think we're blessed if we're meek. We don't, think we're, we don't believe that blessing comes through persecution for righteousness' sake. We say we don't want that. We want to be comfortable. And Jesus says the kingdom citizen does not look like that. He says a kingdom citizen is going to be blessed for persecution. A kingdom citizen is not going to worry about where, where their next thing comes. They're going to be focused on Jesus. And Paul is, is saying, stop bringing the world into the church gathering. And then he talks about the Lord's Supper. And, he, and there's six aspects of communion that, that he talks about here. And he says, I received this from the Lord Jesus. On that night, he took, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So yeah, these, there's six things in here. One, he gives, he gives thanks first. And, and so this table here is about giving thanks to Jesus. When we celebrate communion, when we come together as a church, it's, it's, it's thanking Jesus. That's why in our service, we do a specific prayer on thankfulness, on, on gratitude, on giving thanks to Jesus. So Thanksgiving is in here. We have commonality because he says, this is my body, which is for you. That's a collective you. Like, we, are com- we, we have this commonality in the body of Christ. We're all part of that body. Uh, it's a memorial. And oftentimes, oftentimes when we think of memorial, we think of... Uh, the emotion that's associated with his sadness because we're thinking of funerals. But throughout the scriptures, memorials are set up for joy and gladness. So this is one of those. Yes, Jesus died, but guess what? Jesus is also alive. Um, and he's given us that gift in his death. And we remember that every time. And then it's also cov- covenantal. He says, this is the new covenant in my blood. We've entered into something everlasting. We've walked into something from eternity past that we get to participate in, in the Trinity, the body of Christ. That's a, that's a huge reality. This is the new covenant. Again, he brings up remembrance in verse 25, and then he says, for as often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Proclamation, we're proclaiming the gospel. Essentially, this is a proclamation of the gospel. So whenever you take this, you're proclaiming the gospel with your life and through this action. And then he goes in the last thing, examination. He says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, and that, that word there is, is basically unworthily, it's an adverb. So he's saying, if you do this unworthily, you'll be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself. And that, that word for examination is to put yourself on trial. So you think of a, a courtroom 
and you're examining yourself, you're putting yourself on trial. And, and you're saying, you're cross-examining yourself, you're asking yourself questions, you're, you're diagnostically examining yourself to see where you are in this. Now, I'll get to what that means in a second. So he says, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Verse 30, that's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge or discerned, that word, discerned ourselves truly, we wouldn't be judged or discerned. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along the world. You see there that the object of this is so that we might not be condemned, not so that we would feel condemned. Okay, this often gets mixed up when we talk about communion. We, he says here, don't approach the table unworthily. Here's the thing. This does not have to do with whether you are worthy or not worthy. Here's the truth. You are unworthy. There's nothing worthy in you. There's nothing worthy in us. So it's not about that. It's not whether you're worthy to take the Lord's Supper, to be in the community or not, because we're not. He says, and, and the only thing that makes us worthy is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the only thing that separates you from somebody in the world, is something that Jesus did for you. It's not anything you did on your own. And so when he says the, the manner of us approaching the table, he says not to do it unworthily. He means something else. He doesn't mean our worth, okay? He means something else. And a lot of times what we do here is, because we read this verse in verse 30, and it says, many of you are weak and ill and some have died, and we think, oh, shoot. <laughs> I, I don't want to take this unworthily because I might die. I might get sick. Um, and most of us don't believe that because some of you take this unworthily every Sunday probably. So most of us don't, don't really believe that, but we read that and we're like, oh, what, 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 that's, that's crazy what he's talking about. Is, 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 remember, this is in the context of unity. So is unity linked with judgment? Are the divisions linked with judgment? You know, what's, what's going on here? And, and in this unworthily manner approach, we tend to start to focus on what? We tend to start to focus on our sin. And we say, oh, am I, I need to get myself right. We, we use this terminology. I, I need to get myself right with God before I take communion. And what we end up doing is focusing on our sin. But the point of this is to focus on our Savior. The point of this is not to focus on your sin. Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when we focus on our Savior, He takes care of our sin. We don't have to worry about our sin. We don't have to worry about whether we're, we're uh, right with God or not in that respect. Because if you're in Christ, you're right with God. Now, hear me correctly. If you say you're following Jesus, this goes back to the genuine follower thing. If you say you're following Jesus, but you're living a life of promiscuity, well, you're not right with God because you're probably not right with Jesus. Because you're not in Jesus. Now, if, if, you, if you say you're a follower of Jesus, but your life is full of an idol of success and, and money, well, I don't know if you're actually in Jesus. I don't know if you're a genuine follower of Jesus because you have a different God, and that's success and money for you. 
And we tend to euphemize that. We tend to play it down. Well, I got these idols in my heart, and, and you know, God has to destroy these idols. No, an idol is a, is a God other than God. And so if that's the case for you, then examine yourself. Like, put yourself on trial and say, am I in Christ Jesus? Is he my Lord? Is he my Savior? Is he my everything? Is he my life, as Paul says? Is, he, is my life hidden in him, as, as the Apostle Paul says in, in Colossians? And so when, when Paul talks about this, he says, when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. You don't need to condemn yourself. Approaching this table is not for condemnation. It's for remembering Jesus, thanking Jesus, being with the body in unity, all those six things we talked about. And he finishes out this passage by saying, in light of all that, so then, my brothers, when you come together, that's the last to come together, and now this time it's to eat. So when you come together to eat, wait for one another or share with one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home. So when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give you directions when I come, he says. When... Uh, my family first started going to church. I was about 10 years old. And uh, like I said, before then, my mom had Buddhist background. My dad, agnostic at best. And so no faith, no, nothing even remotely religious or spiritual in my home up until that point. When we started going to this church, um, someone had invited us and invited us over and over and over again. Um, it was the only place where we felt accepted. Now, this is, a lot of places where I grew up are not like Toronto. I moved around the world growing up, and they're not like Toronto. Toronto is full of interracial marriages. Toronto's full of interracial children. Well, the places I grew up didn't have that. Um, and so we never felt, my parents never felt fully accepted. Me, I never knew who I was growing up. Um, really like where, which culture I belonged in or anything like that. Um, and so when we started going to this church, it felt like home. It felt like the family of God. It felt like we belonged and that people treated us like family. And it felt like for the first time, my parents had family. Because even in our own families, like my dad's mom hated my mom she thought he wasn't, like, she wasn't worthy or whatever. Um, and, and then, yeah, on the other side, there's the other issues. So my family, like, came to Christ pretty quickly after we started going to church. They became believers. And I remember sitting there for the first time um, after my parents became believers. We had communion. And in those days, you passed the plate. And I was sitting there next to my dad, and he took communion. And I thought, oh, I, that means I can take communion because he just took communion. Um, so he passes it, and I go to take it, and he slaps my hand. No, he doesn't really slap it, but he's like, no, no, no. And, and then he explains to me why I'm not supposed to take communion. And so we pass the plate on, and he explains to me just the beauty and the, the glory of communion, why he's taking it now, and why why it's a big deal for him to actually partake in communion with the body of Christ now. And 
that sparked my, my own journey of faith over the next few months um, into making a decision for Christ myself. And, and this is the new covenant. This is what we have entered into. And just to close, Jeremiah 31 talks about the new covenant. If you want to know exactly what that is, go all the way back to Jeremiah and in verse 30, or chapter 31, beginning in verse 31, he says this. He says, Behold, whenever you see behold in the scriptures, it's like a slap in the face. Like it should get your attention. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Whenever you see Lord, it's not written like that up here, but in all caps in the scriptures, it's the personal relationship. It's the personal name of God. And it means we have a personal relationship with the Lord Almighty. He says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant they made with their fathers on the day that when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law, my instruction within them, and I'll write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's covenant, that phrase right there is covenant language that you can find throughout all the scriptures. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 34, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. This social status distinction, right, from the world, he says, he's erased that. From the least of them to the greatest, they'll know me, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I'll remember their sin no more. See, when communion and the church, when it gathers, is done right, it doesn't breed exclusivity. It actually brings people in. It promotes, it promotes this, this idea that anybody can come to Jesus. But the exclusive part of it is, it's only through Jesus. But he says anybody's welcome, from the least of them to the greatest, from the youngest to the oldest, from the richest to the poorest. And they're all welcome at this table. And so, as we close and go into our response time, we're going to celebrate communion together, and we're going to celebrate baptism. And we're going to show you guys a picture of this new covenant. And we're going to show you guys a picture of the gospel. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.